0: This morning, it's good to be back in the saddle. Let's—we uh, got a lot of ground to cover this morning. So uh, grab your Bibles, have them handy next to you. I'd like to greet all of those. I know Jordan. Jordan, you did a fantastic job this morning. It was like you were a whole nother, like just comfortability, man, and just in your element. And man, it was really, really good. I want to—I'm I I'm excited to see more of that. So yeah, I can't wait for him to preach either. Very good. Uh, but I preach today, so. <laughs> All right, um, for those of you guys who are new, my name is Jay Duncan, and I have the great privilege of of leading this amazing flock of people known as Antioch Church. And for the past several weeks, we have been on a series called the Ancient Future Church. And we are taking a turn in our series today. So it's it's kind of section two of the overarching ancient future church series. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive in. Father, we ask today for the presence and the power and the ministry of your Holy Spirit in preaching and in the proclamation of the word and gospel. Father, we believe that that there is something that happens when your word is pronounced and when your gospel is proclaimed and we are a people that are shaped By gospel proclamation. We are people that gather together in your name, and something very, very powerful and unique and distinctive and significant happens when we gather, just as something powerful happens when we are sent. And so, Father, we ask today for the ministry of your Spirit to make words clear and accurate and truthful, and God to interpret and to even anoint our hearing and our interpretation so that we can move together as one people. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Caitlin, would you throw, I know this is not in our notes, <clears throat> but would you throw Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 on the screen for us to, t- to take a look at? I was just thinking about this verse as we were worshiping, and it just stood out to me that when we gather together, um, <clears throat> we are a physical, visible, concrete witness To the fact that God's kingdom, his universal reign and his eternal dominion are taking place in the world right now. So when we gather, now I know that it's, we kind of forget that that's a reality here in America. But I want you to superimpose yourself if you could into another part of the globe where this luxury and this frequency and this convenience and this ease is not the same. And there is great hostility and there is great persecution and there has to be great measures taken of great intentionality for us as a church, the physical concrete witness of Jesus and his kingdom to even come together to be that witness Dan and I had the privilege 10 years ago to go to a very closed nation and to actually minister to the underground church and underground church that was in this closed nation. And, and it's probably one of the most hostile environments I've ever been in. I mean, every time we got into the car, our driver, he said, buckle your seatbelt and pray and 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 he was not joking it was he was this intense zealous eager filipino driver and this man knew jesus and man every he knew every time he stepped out of the compound or out of the doors it was war zone literal war zone and we were going into this restaurant we were gathering this church was gathering in a restaurant and as i was sharing and teaching to this church that was meeting in this restaurant in the back of my mind i was Seriously thinking like anything could shake down right here. We are we are in the belly of the dragon. <laughs> we are in a hot spot. And there was a commotion that was taking place downstairs as I was preaching uh, and sharing and teaching in the upstairs part of the restaurant. And I'm just thinking, man, somebody could just be dropping grenades and bombs in here because that's the kind of climate that we were in. And the fact that we were gathering as God's people we were a physical, concrete witness of the rule and the reign of Jesus and of his kingdom that is here on the earth right now. Gathering together is a big deal. It is a big deal. So take a look at this verse. His intent, this is Christ's intent, his intention was that now through the church, that's you and me, that through us, that somehow in our gathering and in our sending, now I'm just focused on the gathering right now, that in our gathering, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That is powerful. Caitlin, would you be able to throw up on the screen, I love that smile, she's like, the, the, the lyrics to the first song that we sing. What is the second song we sing? Oh, the table song. It was like such a kind of a hippie folksy. <laughs> Felt like Kirby should have been leading that song, man. With like a tambourine or something. <laughs> and barefoot. <laughs> Take a look at this. To the king of This is what we sang. This is what we declare today as the church. This is what we were making known. To the realm of the spirit. This is what we're making known to one another. To the king of glory and light, all praises. To the only giver of life, our maker. The gates are open wide. We worship you. Let's keep reading. Come see what love has done. These are all declarative statements. These are all pronouncements that we are speaking to the realm of the invisible. We're speaking to the realm of the heavens we're speaking to the realm of the enemy, we're speaking to the realm of one another, and we are announcing there is a new universal reign of King Jesus, who is sitting on his throne, and take a look at what he has done, the world is distinctly and definitively different because Christ has come, come see what he has done, it is amazing, he has bought us with his blood, he's our savior, these are declarative statements, And when we gather together as a church, we are making these declarations. And we are going back to Ephesians three, we are making known the wisdom and the intention of God to one another, to the realm of the earth and to the realm of the heavenlies. That is powerful stuff. That is powerful stuff. How many of you guys have ever been to a, a sports event? Like just a massive sports event. I'm talking nuggets or Broncos or Avalanche or Rockies, or even on a smaller scale. If you have not been to the Broncos stadium, I know it's expensive, but hey, listen, at one point in your life, try to get to an NFL football game. I don't care if it's Seattle, I don't care if it's, if it's a KC game, but try to get to some massive game. And when you get there, I want you to imagine a prophetic picture of heaven. And I want you to imagine a prophetic picture of what our services are supposed to look like. Because when you get into these places, first of all, the volume level, do you know that they have technology that is designed to determine the decibels of sound? And I think, was it Legion of Boom is like the loudest stadium that is in the nation? But I I'll probably say Denver comes a little close, right? Maybe it comes a little close. But I mean, you're out there on the mezzanine, you're walking around, you're looking at all the, you know, pizza, nachos, and chips, and then all of a sudden you climb out up the stairs, and it's like you have entered into another realm. And the the intensity and the presence and the energy and the engagement of every single person, it's electrifying. It is, it's it's spiritual. It is. It's crazy. If you've not experienced something like this, man, it is wild. And I encourage you, when you you have that opportunity, and those for you who have had that opportunity, reflect on what the power of the gathered presence is all about. I mean, that whole environment would be ridiculously different if there were a third of the people that showed up. Hey, come on, It would just be, it would be radically different, but there is something about the power of gathered presence and engagement. All right, today, um, what we've been talking about the past several weeks, to put this into some broad categories, we've been talking about the church, yes, but all of the messages that we've been talking about can really fit under this umbrella of what we would call the universal church the church universal. And I'm not talking about like universalism or Scientology. I'm talking about the universal distinctives and characteristics of Christ's church. Another word that could be used here based on the creeds of the early church would be the church Catholic, which means the church at all times, the church in all places, visible and invisible, and throughout all of eternity. We belong to the church eternal, the church global, and the church throughout all of history. And so some of these distinctives that we've been talking about, the church is a devoted community. It is a prophetic community. It is a new covenant, new creation community. We are a different kind of people. That refers to the church universal. And today we're gonna make a turn in our series to begin our next section of talks to talk about the church local, to talk about the local church, Um, so we have some kind of big picture questions here that over the next six to seven weeks, we're going to be addressing. We're going to be talking about whether or not the Bible even speaks explicitly or implicitly to the idea or the concept of a local church. We we use this language, but is this a biblical term? Is it a biblical concept? Um, Is there a call towards local church membership? or is it optional? We're gonna talk about that. Um, Is there a difference or a distinction between accepting Christ as our personal Lord and Savior and belonging as members to a people called the church? Um, What implications or claims does church membership have in my life? That's a big one. What, What implications or claims does church membership have on my time? on on my talent, on my gifting, on my abilities, on my money. What are the privileges of belonging to a people? What are the responsibilities of belonging to a people? We're going to talk about these things as we make this turn um, into understanding the local church. And then we're also going to sprinkle through this an understanding of some of our distinctives in our theology, in our mission, and in our expression as a people we're called Antioch Church, so that's that's what the next six to seven weeks together are going to look like. And here's just a little bit of background for you. Maybe this will be helpful, but this is something that I've resisted for a while. Um, you know, we've had numerous conversations, really, over years, years, and and it's been, hey, are we going to talk about church membership? Yeah, we're we'll talk about that, guys. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> And it's just been one of these things that I've been aware that there are, there's been damages, there have been uh, hurts, there have been abuses, there have been. You know, when you start getting into church membership, there's, there's this space where when we're not operating in maturity and in mutual love for one another, that it becomes a real easy leverage point to control and to manipulate and abuse. It's real easy just to get into formality and get into this letter of the law, kind of religious. Yeah, I belong to a church. My name is on a roll, but, but I'm not operating in the spirit of membership. And so over the years, I've had numerous people come and say, hey, am I a member of Antioch or not? (laughs) And I'll say, I don't know, are you? (laughs) And and they'll say, well, I don't know, am I? (laughs) And, And there's been kind of this dance. And what I've explained, and some of you may remember this, what I've explained over the years is, you know, we're really pursuing the spirit of membership. And on one side of the coin, that sounds good because what I'm after there is hey, if in your heart, if you are walking in the spirit of agreement and the spirit of submission, not not just carte blanche submission, but you're walking in this, this element of mutual submission one to another. If there's a spirit of commitment, if there's a giving and a receiving, if this is a people that you identify with, man, you are, you are walking out the spirit of membership. And do we have to get in here and start now? On the other side of the coin, I have friends of mine. I have friends of mine in ministry, guys, listen, that if you don't show up, somebody's calling you. And it's not calling you like, hey, how are you doing? It's like, hey, you're a member. Where are you at? Where you been? If you don't tithe, you're getting a call. Like that's yeah, I love it. The, the the mouth just dropped open. Yeah, so that's kind of the other side. And so, where where is where's kind of the appropriate healthy middle of having a clarity of what it means to be committed and belong, without this unhealthy religious control. That's what we're after. Are you are we are we together on that? All right. So let's let's just walk together for a few minutes let me let me talk again about the definition cuz this was like 8 weeks ago when jonathan opened up our series he utilized a definition for the local church by a man named eugene peterson and his definition was the local church is the appointed ga- i want you to listen to this language the appointed gathering of named people in particular places who practice living a kingdom oriented life. Pay attention, appointed, named, gathering. There is specificity, there's locality, there's concreteness, there's visibility. And these are some of the distinctives of what it means to be a local church. Otherwise, and we'll get more into this. Otherwise, it's really easy to kind of fly under the radar when we just say, yeah, I'm part of the church, the church. I'm part of the church. I belong to the church. And it's kind of this nebulous, ambiguous, amorphous sense of belonging. Here's a definition that I've composed through several books that I've kind of cherry-picked together um, to put together some kind of definition to help us gain some understanding into what church membership is. And I think, yeah, thanks, Caitlin. So when we say church membership, we are talking about a visible mutual commitment of shared identity and holy belonging for the purpose of representing Christ and his kingdom on earth. Now that's not an exo- that's not complete, but it's, it gets us moving in a pretty good direction. So look right here, it's, it is a visible mutual commitment. It is not, hey, if you're in trouble or if you're hurting and I throw out the, yeah, I belong to the church card, now we're kind of into this first John where he's like, listen, this is what love is. If you know of your brother or your sister who has need, And you're kind of like just scooting along going, yeah, I belong to the church, but I have no care or concern for the tangible, physical, concrete need that is in your life. He's saying, you're, you're, you're faking, dude. You are not living the reality of the Christ life in the context of called community. When you know of a physical brother or sister that has need and you just kind of I'm just gonna relate to the church universal over here. That's shady. That's not John's words, that's my word. That's shady, okay? So it is a visible mutual commitment. What does that mean? It means that the power of the church rests in a mutuality that exists among every single one of us. Now, based on our revelation, our understanding and based on our experience, and based on our maturity, that level of mutuality is gonna vary. But again, if we can all be moving in the trajectory of a mutuality one towards another, it's just like marriage. It's just like marriage. You know, people get hung up a lot on man, woman, complementarian, egalitarian. And and mean, as Christy and I, as we look at the scriptures and we look at this in the context of our marriage, the idea that Christy is supposed to submit to me kind of exclusively is kind of bogus. Because the scripture reveals to us that in the context of marriage in Christ, we are to submit one to another. I submit to my wife, you guys, and it's not this kind of hierarchical, positional, functional deal. I submit to my wife in the spirit of love and commitment and belonging. That has been ratified by the covenant of love that we have shared one with another. Okay? And that's the same spirit that we're after here. I am called to submit to Jeff and Mary Wall in the same way that they're called to submit to me. So, kind of zooming out beyond Antioch, wherever God leads you guys in the course of your life, if you start hearing someone use, now I believe in submission, but if you start using, if you start hearing somebody use the wording of submission kind of in this unilateral, like top down, I I'd be very careful. And I would question that, to be honest with you. Because the scripture, I mean, we we can look through loads of scriptures from Matthew 20, 28 to Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 9. And we can talk about the nature of this kingdom as not a kingdom that is a top-down, coercive, controlling Kingdom. The nature of leadership in this kingdom is a leadership that serves one another in a spirit of mutuality in the name of the king. So I am, I am submitted to you and you are submitted to me and we are submitted one to another as we are all submitted to Christ. And that's the way that he has set this up. So it is a visible mutual commitment of shared identity. What, what does that mean? It means that we bear the name of Jesus. You bear the name Christian, I bear the name Christian. We are a community of Christians that are called to be his church. And listen, there is no entity, there is no organization, there is no human societal grouping of people that is remotely like the church in all of the earth. They may have distinct, they may have similarities, they may have commonalities, but there is no grouping of people that is exactly like the essential identity and mission that God has put and the authority that God has put on his church in the earth. It is absolutely distinct from every other grouping of people. Um, A visible mutual commitment of shared identity, which is our shared name, our shared faith and our shared practices of tradition. Things like this that that bind and bond us together. This is a part of our shared identity. When we gather around his table with all of the full-orbed theological and spiritual ramifications that this implies, this is a part of our shared identity. It's, It's like an heirloom. It's like something that is meaningful to the fathers that were passed down from generation that has story and that has experience and that has pain and sweat and blood and tears and joy and life. And as it's passed down, it means something from generation to generation. It's a part of our shared identity. We have a shared identity in our doctrine, our theology and our practices, our traditions and in our expression, and in our name. A visible mutual commitment of shared identity and a holy belonging. Now this references the messages on the church as family, the church as a new covenant community, and Dan's message on a people that are devoted to one another. That's what we call a holy belonging. I belong to you in a holy sense, which means by implication, I am called to care about you, and I'm called to care about the work of God in your life, and you're called to care about that in me and in one another. This is what vibrates and enlivens everything that we do around here. See, like, you know, we could just say, hey, we need some greeters out there, and then what makes us different than Walmart? Walmart's got greeters, <laughs> okay? What's the difference? The difference is, is that, that we are we are enlivened. We come alive by this spirit of whoever walks through these doors, they belong to me in a holy sense. And I am greeting Christ. I am welcoming, I am creating a space where I am welcoming Christ in our midst as each brother and sister and stranger and neighbor and friend walk through the door. Now that ought to transform a greeting ministry. You understand what I'm saying? We're not after some letter of the law here, guys. We're after an understanding of the heart of God that motivates everything that we do. I don't greet you because I have to. I greet you because I belong to you and we're in the same family. And whether or not I feel good that day or not, I am I'm commanded, I am called into a new kind of life and a new way to be human and a new way to belong to the family of God a, vis- a visible mutual commitment of shared identity and holy belonging to represent Christ what's the purpose of all of this it's in, it's that in this concrete local visible expression of the gathered people of God as we live out our shared identity and as we practice what it means to belong to one another in a holy way we are representing Christ to the world and we are announcing Christ has come and he is coming again. Every time that we choose to live as God has called the church to live, we are a prophetic witness that says our God reigns. And the beginning of his reign has come and it is coming in its fullness. Okay, let's look at the scriptures. Some of you guys are looking at me like, I'm not sure if I believe you. (laughs) Okay, I'm just kind of framing this as a biblical case for membership. And then part two of this, will be the biblical call towards membership. So a biblical case, let's, let's look at a couple of verses. Um, number one, this is under the category of gathering. So the scriptures, actually there are over 120 verses that speak to the church, the ecclesia, and they speak to the church in the context of the church, local gathering, Together. Let's look at a couple. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 3. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth. There's a locality to the physical, visible, concrete manifestation of God's rule in Corinth. Corinth. Now in our Holy Spirit class, what we discovered two weeks ago is that when when God is speaking this kind of language through Paul to the church of God, we have to remember just a little bit contextual background here, that Corinth was a massively pagan nation. And all of these pagan worshipers who had all these pagan temples with all their pagan idols, they were everywhere. And here's what Paul, by the spirit of God is saying. He is saying, you, Corinth, the church of God in Corinth, you are the temple of God amongst many temples. But the difference is, is that in this temple, the spirit of the living God abides and dwells. So we could say to the temple of God in Corinth, when we gather together, we are a physical temple where God's presence is housed in Colorado Springs. Now, so is Vanguard, and so is Rocky Mountain Calvary, and so is New Life, and New Life Downtown, and on and on it goes, but we are a temple that belong to a greater church. So here, Paul is saying, to the church of God in Corinth, this is a local designation. Now, look at this next phrase, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. That is, Massive implication for what it means to belong to a people because part of our responsibility towards one another is to provoke and is to model and demonstrate and to hold accountable what it means to be sanctified in Christ and called to be his holy people. Did that make sense? Here's another way of saying this. When I gather together with our men on a Wednesday morning, when I gather together with you, when we gather together in homes there is something about your commitment to Christ and his people and my commitment to Christ and his people that when we interact there is a provocative call towards a holy life by our commitment to one another in God or at least that that's that's what should be happening now listen if we're just getting together and we're just you know, shooting the breeze and smoking cigars and reading books that we like and watching movies. That, that, that's, that is not the church. There's, this kind of, there's these movements culturally that essentially are saying, hey, if, if you like sports and I like sports, well, let's get together and now we're a church. Guys, that is not the church. The church, as Jonathan mentioned, is not, and we're gonna talk about this more next week, it is not a fellowship of same's. And common interests. It is a fellowship of difference gathered around the reign of our king that out of obedience to him are submitted to one another in our gathering and in our sending. So let's we'll keep reading here. Together, let's look at this. To those sanctified in Christ, called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere, this is a church universal. You see this distinction here? He's saying. Corinth, I'm speaking to you. I'm going to write a letter to you. I'm going to get all up in your junk. Y'all got some craziness going on. He's like, so I got to say some things specifically to you. And I have to remind you that you are called as God's church to be holy, but you're called together with the church universal, all of those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Paul begins his letter. All right, let's look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Same book, last chapter, verse 19. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. So here he's Paul. Here's Paul writing from a different locale who has physical interaction and connectivity and relationship and presence with these churches and he is speaking now to the church of Corinth and he is greeting the church one from another and he's revealing implicitly that we're not just these disenfranchised individual what's the word i'm looking for kind of like isolated there's another word here we're kind of like you're like operating on your own authority type of deal autonomous thank you we're not we're not just these little autonomous units we are connected by the Catholicity of the church universal. So that's why he's saying, listen, I'm over here in Asia at this, at this time. We don't have internet. We don't have FaceTime. So I'm having to write you a letter with my hand. And I'm sending you a greeting from a specific people at a specific place in time. And, they're, and we're connected. But then let's keep reading. He says, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings, Aquila, Priscilla, greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. So for all of us house church advocates, here's one of the many verses that would, that would support to some degree the nature of house churches. But when we look at church history, what we'll see is that what we've done has made this an either or. Is it just large gatherings? Or is it just small gatherings? Yes. Acts chapter five, verses one through five says, the apostles met together regularly and, they, and all of the believers would meet together in Solomon's colonnade. So we find here that there were large gatherings where the church would gather together on a city level or on a regional level or on a local level. And the church also goes all the way down to the smallest gathering of those who meet together in homes. And Paul, by the Spirit, delineates those as that's a local church. So what he says right here: the church that meets in Aquila and Priscilla's home is sending you a greeting, and he's validating the presence of that church that is gathered together. All right, let's look at let's look at uh, a second case here, and that is the topic of discipline. So here we have just identified that by its gathering, there is a case for the locality of the church. Now we're gonna talk about an issue of discipline, one that's not as fun, but it's it's Bible. (laughs) Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. Interestingly enough, Jesus talked way more about the kingdom than he did the church. We all know that. Paul talked way more about the church than the kingdom. Well, why is this? Because Jesus came to inaugurate a new season of humanity in history. He was saying, listen, the rule and the reign of, of Yahweh has begun and it is breaking in and the future is coming into the present. And I want you to know it has started. But the embassy or yeah, that's probably the best word. So he says, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put a governing authorized people here in this nation called planet earth And they're going to speak for, and they're going to represent home base called the eternal reign and dominion of God in heaven. That's what we are. We are the embassy of heaven that has been authorized to speak on heaven's behalf and authorized to bring the culture and the manner and the way of the kingdom to bear on the earth. And we're authorized also to say, you, you in fact are a verified passport, card carrying, bona fide citizen of this kingdom. And we're also authorized to say, you, my friend, are not. And we see this all throughout, particularly in the early part of church history. And Dan did a marvelous job on Wednesday night saying, that was heresy, that was heresy, that was heresy, that was heresy. What's going on there? It is the church authorized by God in an embassy, on the earth to say, you're, fa- you're posing and you're bringing confusion because you're saying that you're from this kingdom, you're from this church universal eternal that's in the future, but you're not really. And you're, you're parlaying language and ideas in an effort to deceive people and steal their hearts away from the true king and his kingdom. And so we stand as kind of this people that are protecting what it means to belong to that family in eternity. Okay, Um, and so discipline is a part of that. We're gonna talk more about discipline specifically in a couple of weeks, but I want you to just kind of have an idea of where we're going. Matthew 18, verse 15 through 20. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. This is actually Old Testament law. And he's keeping continuity with that. And he says, if you listen to them, you have won them over. Listen to the spirit here. It's a spirit of dignity. It's a spirit of honor. It's a spirit of no presumption. It's a spirit of saying, hey, let's work this out on a personal level because there's some things I may not have understood. And out of love for you and honor of you, I want to figure these things out together because I may have misunderstood some things. And so let's, you see, you see what's going on right here? Let's do this one-on-one. There's no reason to shame or embarrass or condemn anybody. So then the next iteration in verse 16 is if they will not listen, if they're stubborn, hard-hearted, resentful, rebellious, he goes, well, then take another brother along, supposedly someone who's objective and mature in the faith. We'll talk more about this. All right, verse 17. If they still refuse to listen, what do we do? He says, tell it to the church. What church? If the church is just universal and Kirby and I have a falling out, who do I go to? They just jump online, churchpeacemakers.com. Do I throw this SOS on Facebook and say, any believer out there, I need you to come and help me. I need you to help reconcile an issue. You know, these people that don't even know, they have no, no context, they have no, no vested interest in seeing Kirby and I reconciled in our relationship under God. No, he's saying that there is a local people that have been established and authorized by God to help navigate relational conflict. And here's the implication that we'll talk about in two weeks. We will have relational conflict. It is inevitable. And he's saying that one of the functions of the church that actually becomes a part of our prophetic witness to the world is the way in which we handle our disagreements. Paul goes on and he explains this later in first Corinthians where he says, why are you guys going to the legal courts? Why are you guys bringing in people that are not even God-fearers to come in and reconcile something that you have been called to do as a prophetic witness and as an authorizing characteristic and distinctive of what it means to be my people? Why are you, why are you handing this over to people that are not even God-fearers? Pastors and elders are called to watch over. Oh, this is a different part of my notes. Okay. Um, 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5 Verses one through five. This is what I was referencing earlier before. So at the church of Corinth, shady business going on. It is actually reported there is sexual immorality among you in a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud of this. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and put out of your fellowship? What is he saying here? He's saying, yeah, he's saying you should excommunicate this person from fellowship because if this, this, this person's action, by you not addressing it and by you allowing it, you are sanctioning an action. And you are sanctioning a spirit and a value system and a mentality and a morality and a way of life that is not from the kingdom that we're sent from. And so essentially what you're saying is it is okay for the holy family of God to allow son-in-laws to sleep with mother-in-laws. That's what our kingdom does. And Paul is saying, no. As the ecclesia who has been given licensed authority to say, I bind this or I loose that. I ratify this and I agree with this or I do not, I renounce this. We do, we reject this. He was saying, you have been given authority to say this right here does not belong to our kingdom. Now there are only two kingdoms. And so it's saying, he's saying, if you put someone out of their citizenship, it's like their passport has been revoked. Think about it like this. If you do something in my nation that is violating the rule of this nation, and I say, we are revoking your passport, you must go back to your country of origin. So now this person who is having these lewd acts with his mother-in-law has now been placed outside of the, of the nation within a nation, outside of the embassy of the church sent from heaven. And now he belongs to the domain of the enemy. And this is why Paul says, hand him over to Satan. He's not saying, I want you to curse him. He's not saying, I want you to wish ill upon him. All he's saying is by the very act of you saying, you are no longer a card carrying citizen of this, of this country. By very definition he will go back under the dominion of the enemy and there will be this natural consequence that takes place that begins to move on his heart and says it was way better belonging to the nation within the nation it was way better belonging to this church and i am going to tra- i'm going to change and repent so that my life comes into agreement with the laws of this kingdom that is incarnated by this local people called, say it with me, the church. That's what's happening here. Now, Paul could not say this if there were no local expression of the universal church. Point number three, leadership, leadership. Um, Acts chapter 20, let's look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. So leadership is a part of implication of a local church reality. Some background right here in Acts chapter 20. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, feels called to go to Jerusalem to stand as witness in front of the king and in front of the Caesar and for him to give testimony of how he was wrongfully accused and to give testimony to the king in his kingdom. And so all the people around him, all of the brothers and sisters in various churches that he has planted, they're saying, Paul, don't do this. You're gonna die. And he's saying, this is a holy assignment that has been given to me to go and bear witness to this, okay? And so he's meeting with some of the elders that he established for the church in Ephesus. And in verse 28 of Acts chapter 20, here's what he says. He's giving them his his last charging orders. And he says, keep watch over yourselves as leaders and keep watch over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. Who made the elders overseers over the flock? The Holy Spirit did. The ultimate authority of the church. So how can a leader give watch over a flock if there is no local reality? Am I called to give watch over all the Christians in the world? (laughs) I can't do it. Am I called to discipline and correct all the Christians in the world? Now, some watchdogs feel like they're called to do that. But I'm not called to do that. And listen, this only, this idea of correction and leadership only works in the context of mutual submission. You have to give me or our elders and one another permission to correct. And if I start tromping along and start, you know, red carding you and calling foul and trying to be some be some spiritual referee and umpire, and if you've not given me that permission, we're either gonna throw blows. <laughs> You're going to get highly offended. You're going to leave. And we're not not fulfilling the prophetic reality of what God has called his kingdom to be. This only works off of mutual submission and relationship. It's the only way it works. We have some dots connecting here. Pastors and elders are called to watch over a specific flock. You are my flock given to me by God entrusted to me to watch over and to bishop your soul. And that task has been given to our elders as well. And we are growing and maturing in that reality, and we steward that with fear before the Lord. Okay, Hebrews chapter thirteen, verse seventeen. Same same idea. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Why? Because they watch over you as those who must give an account. Who who do spiritual leaders give an account to? The world of Christians, or see. This, is, this kind of scares me. But I will have to give an account, not only of my leadership, not only of how I have conducted my life in relating to you, I'm gonna to have to give an account of your lives before God according to the scriptures. Uh, 1, 1 Timothy chapter five. 1 Timothy chapter five, verse 17 and through 18. The elders who direct the affairs of the church Well, he says, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about directing the affairs of the universal church? Are we talking about directing and giving guidance and instruction and wisdom and structure and order to a locality? I I would say that the scriptures is making a case and all of these verses implicitly that there is a local church reality. All right, here's the next point. Um, Accountability. Accountability. Same chapter or same books. Let's go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter one. 1 Timothy chapter one, verse three. Paul addresses two primary things in almost every book he writes. Number one, he addresses the way we treat each other. Number two, he addresses heresies and false doctrines that are creeping in. Now that's not all he talks about, but those I'm telling you, those are two of the big things that he's, he's speaking into whether it's Philippians or Colossians or Ephesians or to Timothy. And he's writing the book to Timothy at the end of his life. Timothy has been tasked with now stepping into Paul's apostolic leadership over the church at Ephesus. Paul is no longer functioning in that capacity. He is entrusting that leadership and that authority over to Timothy. And this is why, look right here, it's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse three. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love. We gotta keep that central. I mean, anytime we're talking about membership or leadership or government or authority, if we take love out of the equation, things get squirrely really fast and we start ending up in compounds and communes and blacklist type of stuff. It's crazy. All right, so you see what's going on here. Paul is tasking Timothy with the leadership of the church in Ephesus. And he's saying, listen, people are creeping in and they are starting to teach false doctrines. One of the responsibilities of a local church is to be the bastion and the protector of truth in the spirit of love. Look at 2 Timothy chapter two, verse two. 2 Timothy chapter two. So again, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, you then my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Being a pastoral leader or an apostolic leader is not easy. Verse two, and the things that you have heard me say The teaching of doctrine, the proclamation of the gospel and the truth that I have taught you implicitly as I'm I'm entering into this. These things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses now entrust them to reliable people. How does the truth of sound doctrine get passed on? It gets passed on from one generation to the next. So we as Antioch Church, until Christ returns, we are called along with the church universal, but locally we are called to protect the truth of the scriptures and the spirit. And then we are called to invest that into the next generation. This is why nursery matters. This is why children's ministry matters. Because all it takes is one generation, unfaithful and irresponsible with the stewardship of the truth. And another generation arises who did not know their God or the God of their fathers. That's why it matters. So we have been tasked with keeping people, the church accountable to the truth of scripture. All right, let's, let's end here with this. What does this mean? So I, I think we've made a somewhat decent case. And by the way, those were just kind of scriptures amongst many. We have made a case that there is a universal dynamic and dimension of the church and there is a local reality of the church that we are a part of. Whether we understand all of its nuances or all of its implications or not, we, we Antioch Church, are a local expression of the universal church. So here's, here's what God is calling us to. Let's look at our three words again. He is calling us by implication of membership toward a shared identity and a shared faith. So when you say, yes, I'm a member of whatever church that God calls you to, and we're gonna use Antioch for this case study, if you say, I bear witness by God's spirit, he is calling me to membership into this family. What you're saying is I share the identity that we are believers of Jesus. That's what you're saying. You are expressly and emphatically stating, I am committing to being a follower of Jesus and I am committed to, to helping and serving and encouraging the people that God has called me to to be followers of Jesus as well. I need you to help me be a follower of Christ. And you need one another to help one another be followers of Christ. And this works its way out in many, many expressions, whether it's body ministry, whether it's coming to the table, whether it's receiving the table in small gatherings, whether it's going to a life group, whether it's serving on a team together in some capacity, whether it's going on mission together or meeting in homes or meeting in prayer groups, you're saying, I commit to be a Christian I commit to live the Christian life and I commit to help you live the Christian life and I commit to allow you to help me to live the Christian life. That's a shared identity. And that's part of what's happening when we come here and we take this body, you know what we're saying? In front of everybody, every time you see me grab this, what I'm, what I'm implicitly stating is you can watch my life. How's that for some fear of the Lord and accountability? Every time you see me take this cup and, pre- and hold this bread and take it to my lips, I am saying I am definitively a Christian and not just between me and Jesus alone. You can watch my life. You ought to expect something. And listen, take, take pastor off of jade right now. Because when you take this, what you're saying in front of God and the community is you can watch my life. I belong to you. And you can expect something from me. You can expect me to live the Christian life in a manner that honors God and in a manner that accurately represents his kingdom and in a manner that provokes you to do the same. Watch me, watch me. You should expect something different. Now we've kind of teetered in the culture. You know, grace is good, but we've teetered to the side where we're just like, we have zero standard. This is a standard. This is a standard. It's not a standard of perfectionism. It is a standard of commitment that when I'm tempted to give my life over habitually to sin, when I hold this, I have to see your faces to say that people's lives will be affected because I have chosen to be in local church membership with a family that is from the future, that has standards. Are you with me today? So when I hold this and look around, we're not going to do turn the lights off and have these private secret sessions with God. We're not doing that. We're not doing this. We're going to say, boom, look at me. I am a Christian. I belong to the loaf. And I've taken the blood and you can count on me. That's, what, that's what's happening here. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, y'all, y'all, ain't, y'all ain't convinced. Y'all not excited. All right, here, let me just, let me end with this. So the implication of membership, we're called to shared identity. So when you say I'm a member of Antioch, you're saying I'm a Christian, I'm gonna live a Christian life by grace and help. Number two, you're saying that I, I'm committing to a holy belonging. This one's the hard one. This is is all the messages on the church's family. You are saying that every biblical metaphor So what are the biblical metaphors? The church is a body. How do we live out the biblical metaphors? If we just kind of float along and belong to the church universal, how do I live out the church as a body? Kind of in this like nebulous, woo, I got an arm in Indonesia. I'm gonna pray for the arm in Indonesia today. No, I'm. this is the place I live out what it means to belong to the body. This is the place where I go, man, I see everything like an eye, but Christian is an ear and we keep butting our heads up against each other. That's exactly what you're supposed to do because there's gonna come a day, Jade, where you can't see so well and you're gonna need Christian's ability to hear. How do I live out that in locality? The church is a family. Where do I live that out? I live it out in the local expression. The church is a bride married to Christ in intimate devotion. I live that out here. So when you say, I choose in response to the bidding of the Holy Spirit to be a member of this family, you're saying I choose by the grace of God and the empowerment of his spirit to enter into a holy belonging one with another. And that's scary and we will fail. And that has implications on our serving. Let me, just, let me just go here for like three minutes. We'll hit this more at the end of the series, but this has implications. If I belong to you and you belong to me in a holy belonging and you're at my house and we enjoy the feast together and I got to prepare all the food and clean up after you, man, the first time it's okay. Second time, like by the 10th or 20th time that I'm providing all the food and I'm cleaning up afterwards every single time, we might have to have a conversation what it means to be in a relationship. You know what I'm saying? Because then offenses creep in and then judgments creep in and, and resentment creeps in. And the very thing designed to bring us together because we're not operating in a spirit of mutuality and the way that we serve one another is actually being used to divide us. Are you hearing me? You know what I spent my night last night doing? Working on nursery curriculum. You know why? Because I'm the new nursery director. So if you have problems with your babies, you have to call me. Is this my gifting? (laughs) Hey, listen, I got four kids that might say otherwise. Huh? Is this what I'm called to? I mean, out of everything that I'm called to steward as, as uh, in the role of senior pastor, is this what I'm called to per se? No, it's not. This is not where my spiritual charisma inclines me to go towards. Is it my passion? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if it's my passion. Is somebody needed to provide leadership and order and organization and direction and safety and protection and life and ministry and discipleship to our babies? Infant to five years old, yes, somebody's needed. Are you, are you understanding? And I'm, I'm not saying that to boast and I'm not gonna be there forever. But I'm trying to communicate here is that when we start getting into, well, that's not, that's not my gifting. You know, if, if Kenya came to me and said, dad, I'm definitely not really gifted to wash the dishes. I say, brother, guess what? I got a good word for you. Where gifting is weak, tenacity and diligence and commitment can compensate for your lack of gifting, son. Build some character. You belong to the family. <laughs> See, I can, I, can, I, can, I can talk like that to Kenya in the spirit of love. You know, the reason why we're not doing much of a difference in most churches is because nobody's given one another permission to say difficult things. how can you take men and women who have zero training to defend their lives and turn them into trained warriors? How's that possible? Because they've given permission for someone outside of themselves to tell them hard things and make them do difficult things. Sports teams, musical bands, military, it doesn't matter what the metaphor is. We have to allow someone to call us into doing something. Coach, I don't really, you know what? Running is not my strong suit. I just like to hang out here and shoot trays, coach. Cool, you're not on the team. Because it's a privilege to be on the team. It's a privilege. See, you may not realize this, but it's a privilege for you to be a part of Antioch. And it's a privilege for me to be a part of Antioch. Man, I can't tell every single time I go home on a Sunday afternoon, I tell Christy with tears in my eyes, there is no other place on the planet that I'd rather belong to than this. This is a special house. And I will go to my grave believing this is a special place and God is doing it. And the other places are special too, but this is my special place. This is my special people. And listen, I I am privileged to belong to this family but I've got responsibility. And if I am not responsible with my responsibilities, I lose my privileges. Are you hearing me? If I am not responsible with my responsibilities, I will lose the privilege of belonging to this family in the capacity that I am leading this family at the current time. Go and stand on our feet today. What in the world do we do with all this? Well, at the moment, we don't do anything. We just let this kind of settle in. And we come to the table. As a prophetic picture of belonging to a family in the future, do you realize that every time we come to this table, we are prophetically announcing that Africans and Asians and Latin Americans and Europeans belong to the family that we're called to? That's awesome. And every time we come to the table, we say we stand in solidarity with Methodists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Charismatics and Pentecostals. And though we may have little side issue differences, they're part of our family. And the family of God is multifaceted and multicolored and multi-ethnic and multi-generational and multi-dimensional and it is beautiful and it's amazing. And we belong to it universally and locally. So today, when you hold the body of Christ, I want you to hold it up and look around. I want you to look around. I want you to see the people you can count on. I want you to see the people you're called to. I want you to see the people that God has integrated your life with, sovereignly, sovereignly. It's not accident. This wasn't all up to you. It's not all up to you. Do not be conformed again to the pattern of this world that says this is all about you, it's all up to you. You were called to a people. I want you to look around and see who that people is. I want to do the same thing with the cup, but be careful, don't spill anything on you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray right now, God, that in this moment, that what human words and what human articulation was inadequate to do, that the spirit of the living God would encounter us and rest upon us and settle in upon us and work within us and reveal to us and activate within us and make a tangible reality upon us as we come to the table to taste and see and to experience prophetically that we belong to one another in a local dynamic and in a universal reality, we pray for the presence and the power and the ministry of your spirit. I just need a hearty amen on that. Guys, come to the table of the Lord. Welcome.